Today I want to talk to you about the heart of God. Many people view the end goal of the Christian life as behavior modification. In other words, they think that the Christian life is just about being better, it's about doing better. But that's not the case at all. God wants to change our heart. You see, God is concerned about inward transformation that then manifests itself in changed behavior. When we simply change what we do, but we still want to do the same things, we're not yet like God. Jesus described the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who outwardly did the right things, but inwardly had the wrong motives. He described them as, as whitewashed tombs. Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28. Listen to what Jesus said to them as he warned them about doing what was right for the wrong reasons. It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also are outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What a powerful image the Lord used. If you've ever seen a, an above ground tomb, we would, we would perhaps call it a mausoleum today. And there's many of those in, in Israel. And some of the tombs that are there today were, were there in the time of Jesus. And you can see those massive monuments. And Jesus used that as an illustration. He said, when you change the outside, you change your behavior, but you don't change your heart. You're just like one of those beautiful tombs that's been carefully washed. Beautiful, elegant on the outside, but inside just full of dead men's bones. So God wants to do more than modify our behavior. God wants to transform our, our heart. And by heart, I mean what we want, what we love, what we value. The reason he wants to change our heart is because he wants to make us like him. He wants to make us like him. And he is gracious and he is loving and he is merciful and he longs to see people saved. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. If you ever wondered, well, why, why hasn't God done something in the world? Why hasn't the Lord returned? Why hasn't the Lord put an end to all of this? The Bible says it's because he's, it's not because he's slow, but it says, but is patient toward you. And here's his motive. Here's his heart. It says, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Bible says the heart of God is that everyone should come to repentance. We know not everyone will. In fact, Jesus said the vast majority won't. He described a narrow road and a, and a wide road. Not everyone will because God has given us freedom. How else can you love outside of freedom? But it's the heart of God that people should come to repentance and be saved. 
And so today as we explore that in a, in a parable that Jesus told, James says that reading the Bible is like looking in a mirror. When we read the Bible, we should see what we need to change. Most of us this morning, we looked in a mirror. We saw which hairs were out of place. We saw if we had anything we needed to wash off. We looked in a mirror and we saw what we needed to change to get ready to come in with a presentable outward appearance today. But when we look into the Bible, we see the things that we need to change about our heart so that we could be transformed to be like God. And so today as we look at this parable that Jesus told, there's a great contrast in this parable between the heart of the Pharisees and the heart of God. I believe the reason that Jesus told us this parable is so that we could learn what to leave and learn what to embrace. And so today I challenge you to see yourself as we hear the Lord's parable in Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. Would you join me in standing out of honor and reverence for God's word as we read this together? The Bible says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. That, that is Jesus. They were drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us today to be very open and receptive, that we might be changed to have a heart like yours. May we long to see people saved, and may we truly rejoice at their repentance. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in this passage, Jesus is trying to teach the Pharisees, and he is confronting them with this parable. And in this parable, we see no greater contrast than between the heart of the Pharisees and the heart of God. You see, the heart of the Pharisee is judgmental. And I think you and I need to be very careful that we don't become like the Pharisees. It seems like it's natural for us to compare ourselves to other people. That seems just to be a natural manifestation of our sinful, selfish nature is to compare ourselves with others. And what happens is, is when you become saved or you begin attending a church and you hear and see what you should do and what you shouldn't do and you begin to change your behavior, it's possible for then us to begin to compare ourselves with other people and pat ourselves on the back for how much better we are truly. And that's where the Pharisees were. They saw people coming 
people, when the Bible says that they were sinners, it means that they were, they were openly in sin. People, everyone's a sinner. But when the Bible describes sinners, this means people who are, who are blatantly, openly living a lifestyle of sin. And when they heard Jesus teaching, they began to be drawn to him and they came to hear him. And as the Pharisees saw it, instead of rejoicing that people were coming to hear and perhaps coming to repent, they judged Jesus for receiving them and having fellowship with them. You see, Jesus was received better by blatant sinners than by the self-righteous religious leaders of his day. It says there in verse one that we read, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Well, I look around the room today and I see a lot of people that have been in church for a long time. Perhaps most of us here know today that there's very little correlation between the tax collectors in the gospel and tax collectors working for the IRS today. In the first century, the, the Jewish people were living under the occupation of the Roman Empire. They didn't live in Rome. They didn't live in Italy. They were being occupied by a foreign government controlled by their military. And Rome, in order to pay for that, collected taxes from the people. And so they were people who were willing to cooperate with the Romans and collect tax from their own people. And under the Roman system of taxation, they had a certain percentage that they wanted collected. And whatever tax collector collected beyond that, he could keep for himself. And so many greedy, scrupulous people became very wealthy by over-collecting taxes and keeping the difference. And so they became a symbol of malicious greed and sinfulness. And the Bible says, yet these people were coming to hear Jesus, tax collectors and and sinners. I think about what Jesus would say and it's recorded in John 12, 32. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus said that when he was lifted up, that, that was a roundabout way to talk about being crucified. But, but all throughout the gospel of John, we see John pointing out the double meaning and different things. This the richness of what Jesus was alluding to. And it referred not just to him literally being lifted up on the cross, but to him being glorified that the world might look to him in faith. Just as Moses had lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and people in faith looked to it and were healed, Jesus would be lifted up that people would be drawn to him and would look to him in faith and be healed of their, of their sin. And when we constantly lift up Jesus, we can expect people to be drawn to him. So I'd ask you today, when's the last time you lifted up Jesus in conversation or in invitation, inviting people to come and hear or telling them yourself? The more people we tell about Jesus, the more people will see, respond in faith. We look at the Pharisees, and the Bible says in verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I think it's perhaps the pinnacle of arrogance to confront God about his unacceptable behavior. But that's exactly what the Pharisees did. And of course, they did it because they didn't believe that Jesus was from God. And they confronted Jesus because he received sinner, and it says, and 
eats with them. In the first century, to, to share a meal was more than just a matter of convenience. It was an act of fellowship and acceptance. The Pharisees could not understand why Jesus, if he was a rabbi, if he was even just a good Jew, why would he have fellowship with people who are living an open lifestyle of sin? And of course, you and I know it's because his heart was to see them to come out of that. So the heart of the Pharisee is, is judgmental. And I believe that the heart of the Pharisee is natural apart from the transforming grace of God. It's just natural for our sinful nature to look at other people and be judgmental. But it's the work of God that transforms us, that enables us to see people as he sees people. As we become a new person, not driven by our old selfish sinful nature, but driven by the heart of God that we are slowly adopting as we put off our old ways and take on new ways of thinking and believing. As we've talked today about, about change in behavior. Yes, God wants to change our behavior, but God wants to change it by changing our desires and changing our will. You can't change your heart and not change your behavior, but you can change your behavior and never change your heart. There's a lot of people that are doing the right things for the wrong reasons. They've never been changed. They've just gotten dressed up. And God wants to transform us so that we no longer have this selfish nature controlling us that would lead us to be judgmental of other people instead of merciful and gracious like God, longing to see people come into faith and their repentance. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 22, the Bible describes the change in our life this way. It says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is God's desire, that we become like Him. Most of us are naturally like the Pharisees. We look to justify what we do, we look to elevate ourselves by tearing other people down and we have the ability to simply be judgmental about other people who live lesser moral lifestyles than we do. But God's heart is not to judge them. God's heart is to see them come to repentance. And so he wants to do a, a change in us so that we become merciful and gracious like him. And so Jesus tells a parable about a lost sheep a parable to illustrate the concern that God has for any single member of his creation that has gone astray. So verse 3, it says, So he told them this parable. It says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was, that was lost. That was lost. Throughout the Bible, lost will be used as a metaphor for separation. 
The sheep that was lost was separated from the shepherd. There's three parables in sequence here. Jesus told one after the other. In each one, there's something that is lost. And in each parable, that which is lost is increasingly more precious. The sheep is one of a hundred. Next, he'll tell a parable about a lost coin, which is one of ten. And then last, he'll tell a parable about a lost son, who is one of two. As we see each one becoming more and more precious, it emphasizes to us that that which is lost, that which is separated, is of great value and precious to God. All metaphors break down at some point, meaning not every point of an illustration relates to the point of the truth which is trying to teach us. And so the shepherd in this parable may not know where the sheep is, but friend, God knows where every person is. They're not lost in the sense that he can't find them. They're lost in the sense that they are separated and alienated from him. And so the shepherd in this parable, the shepherd seeks the lost sheep because it's valuable to him. Jesus doesn't elaborate why it's valuable. It may be that these are his sheep and that one of a hundred represents one percent of his assets. It may be that the shepherd has raised this sheep since it was a little ewe lamb and he's attached to this particular one. It may be that he is a hired shepherd and he will have to give an account to the owner and pay for the sheep that he has lost. The Bible doesn't tell us what motivates him, but it does show us that this sheep is precious to the shepherd. Therefore, he goes to great extent to find it and bring it back into the fold with the rest of the sheep. And friend, in this parable, the shepherd represents God. And the sheep is every person who has been alienated from God that he wants to bring back in. And just like the shepherd is concerned about that one sheep, God is concerned about every person who is alienated from him. If we think about this shepherd seeking the lost sheep because it's valuable to him, then we ought to ask the obvious question, why would we value people? Think about how the world evaluates people. The world values people based upon what they have, what they can do, what they look like. This is how the world places a value on people. And when we look at the world, we see people who are violent, greedy, selfish, arrogant. And so we ask the question, why would we value such people? I want you to think about this for a moment. I look around the room, there's a lot of people here that are parents. Not everybody, but a lot of people who are parents. When a mother first looks at her newborn daughter, she doesn't think, I wonder what assets this child has. She doesn't think, I wonder what this child can do. She doesn't think, does this child look like a supermodel? No, she loves and values that child because that child is hers. And you and I, we may look at people and we may see what sin has done in our life and how it's manifested itself in very undesirable behavior and character. But when God looks at people, he sees his creation. The Bible says, 
in Genesis chapter 1 that we were all created in the image of God. It says in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man, listen to this, in our image, after our likeness. Verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Later on in Genesis chapter 9, the reason that the Bible will give for valuing human life is that people were created in the image of God. In Genesis 9, 6, it says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And this is why, for God made man in his own image. In the New Testament, in the book of James, James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, would appeal to the image of God in man to give reason why we ought to be careful what we say about people. In James 3, 9 and 10, speaking about the tongue, he says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So Jesus tells this story about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and loses one. And he goes and he seeks the one, brings it back, and then he rejoices because the sheep is precious to him. There's nothing natural about us placing that kind of value on lost people. There, there's really nothing valuable, nothing natural about it. But as God begins to transform our heart that we become like him, I believe it enables us to see people as he sees them. We see people not for what they say or not for what they do, but we see people for what they can become if only they would receive the grace of God and be saved. You see, the heart of God is gracious. In verse 7, he says, Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You see, the heart of God is filled with joy when a sinner repents. The Pharisees, they were filled with contempt, but God was filled with joy. The truth is, uh, you and I may long to see our children saved or a kind friend saved, but God is calling us to long to see everyone saved. The Bible says that he rejoices when one sinner repents. We think about the great contrast between God and the Pharisees. The Pharisees who grumbled because Jesus received tax collectors and sinners and even ate with them. That means brought them into fellowship with him. They grumbled while God rejoiced. It's so important that 
when we find ourselves part of the 99, that we remember that we were once the one. There's some wonderful fine people in this room today. There's people that I have tremendous respect for and love. There's people that accomplished amazing things. There's people that have extraordinary character and beautiful hearts that love people. But friend, not one of us was born that way. If that describes you, you are where you are because there was a time in your life that God went seeking you and he brought you and adopted you into his family. When we remember where we came from, it helps us to see where others might be able to go as well. When we remember where we came from, it helps us not to be judgmental, not to be skeptical, but to be gracious and merciful, longing to see other people receive the great gift that we have found. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us to search our hearts, repent of any area that resembles the attitude of the Pharisees. I pray that our heart would be like your heart. We'd be merciful. We'd be gracious. We would long to see people come into your kingdom. Lord, help us to share the good news that we have found. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.